You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So this morning, we're kicking off a new series, and uh, which means we're done with the journey to God, right? You guys all made it up to Jerusalem? It means you're in shape, because you've been walking for 16 weeks. It was a long series, Journey into God. But now you're all there, Right? Do I need to like pass out new shoes? You got sore feet? What's going on out there, right? Uh, so we're kicking off this new series, and this new series is called Foundations, and really the heart behind it is to help us as a church and as individuals really take a minute and make sure we're laying the right foundation for this year. Um, and it's no secret that 2020 was rough uh, in some respects. 2020 was probably, for as a year goes, for most of us in this room, it was probably one of the most divisive times in the history of our country that we're aware of that has ever been. And on top of the division, the, the, the way that uh, people divided and the, the harshness that people have divided and the number of things people are willing to divide over and argue over, it, it just continues to grow, right? Like the, the, the number of things and the ways that we will choose sides seems like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It started off with the normal stuff, like we'd divide over politics, right? That's nothing new under the sun. That's been going on forever. But then it started to get over like nitty gritty politics and political issues and opinions. And then we started dividing over media. And now it's like, if you find out what channel somebody watches their nightly news on, it tells you if you can be friends with them or not. Like, oh, you watch CNN? (gasps) You watch Fox News? (gasps) Right Then we start finding out uh, that people are dividing immensely over things like masks, vaccines, COVID guidelines, what businesses can be open, what businesses can't be open, and why. We're dividing over race in all sorts of different ways. It has been a year of division, and on top of all of this division... And, and, and black and whiteness of everything, of everybody separating on so many different things. On top of all of that, it happened to go on during a year when the world was more poised than ever before for everybody to receive all of their information in this stuff in your phones, in your screens, in your laptops. It was like because of COVID and because of quarantines and staying at home and working from home, people more than ever were looking to the internet for their education, for their communications, for their connections, for their relationships, for their entertainment, for everything. And with all of that, we got piped in all this division nonstop. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. What I'm about to share with you is stuff that I think some of you might know a tiny bit about, but you probably don't know to the degree how bad it's gotten unless you work in a particular professional field. The fruit that's growing on the trees of people as a result of this last year, all the things I just talked about, the the fruit that's going in people's lives is pretty scary stuff. Around the world and around our country, In our state, there's huge increases in anger and stress at home that are resulting in far more instances of abuse, increase in sexual abuse. There is massive increases in the number of people struggling with mental uh, health issues like depression and anxiety. A lot of people, I think, 
kind of uh, maybe make some assumptions like, yeah, that makes sense. We've been more isolated. There's more stress. Like I kind of anecdotally know that those things are happening, but you might not realize that there's already studies coming out that are now saying uh, that in America, half, 50% of adults are struggling with a major mental health issue or a drug-related problem. Oftentimes those are related. The age group that's probably been hit the hardest by all of this is young adults. 18 to 24-year-olds is what we call young adults. And in young adults, it says that right now the surveys and statistics that are coming out are saying that 75% of young adults are battling a serious mental health issue or a drug-related problem. I know you all know this, but we live in a town that happens to have a ridiculously out-of-proportion number of young adults because of the college. And so we live in a town, unlike a lot of places in America, where per capita there's way more young adults than, than is normal for a town our size. In fact, there's well over 20,000 people that live uh, here around us in that age range of 18 to 24-year-olds. And to me, to know that uh, of those 20,000-ish young adults that are here, maybe 15,000 of them, maybe even if the survey's way off and it's only half and not 75%, 10,000 to imagine that in our little turf, in our little neck of the woods, there's 10,000 young adults wrestling with mental health issues. Now here's the stuff where it starts to get really ugly is with the suicide stuff. When we start looking at the suicide numbers that are coming in, what's really difficult and sad about suicide stuff and reporting is that it takes uh, oftentimes a couple of years to get the data in and you don't know how bad it was until after it's all long gone and they've all it's done right like the damage has been done what we're finding already right now on the heels of 2020 is that uh, for adults 25 and older the statistics are showing that one out of 10 are reporting that they're thinking about suicide one in 10 here's where it gets really shocking as if that wasn't bad enough. For young adults 18 to 24, it's one in four. One in four people 18 to 24 year old have got something going on in their life to the point where they're wrestling with if it would be better if it was just not going on anymore. And we think about this culture this last year and all this division and all of this junk and it's been piped into our hands and our homes and our eyes and our hearts and the fruit that's growing from it. The, the thing that's it's even more heartbreaking to me and to so many of us is that it's also permeated the fabric of the church. I'm talking church across America. Like you find a Christian anywhere and you start to dig into their life or listen to what they talk about or review their social media feed. And what we know is you start, you start to find out really quickly that you know what they believe about masks. You know what they believe about politics or which president they like or what president they don't like or which news channel they watch or what they think about vaccines or don't think about vaccines, right? You know all of this stuff, but it's not obvious if they love Jesus or not. And there's just division and division and division. And the damage it's doing 
is starting to come out into the light where we can see it. It's starting to become obvious more than just the guesses that we're making. And, and I, I just can't help but think as I look at this stuff, how easy is it for us to just slide down this slippery slope of division? How easy it is for us to forget that we're in a fight and the fight we're in is not a physical battle. The fight we're in is not a, a, a emotional battle. The fight we're in is not a social battle. It's a spiritual battle. How easy it is for us to forget that we have an enemy. And the enemy that we have is fighting on different turf than most of us are spending our day engaged in. Paul had some words to the church in Ephesus talking about this spiritual battle, reminding people of the same type of stuff. Don't get sidetracked with these issues that are going on around you. That, that's not where the real fight's at. He, he said in Ephesians 6, he said the final word to these Christians, he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil because we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We have to remember that our enemy is not the person on the other side of the issue. It's not a political battle. It's not a social battle. It's not a physical battle. We're fighting a battle against the devil, and the devil loves to divide. He wants to make our lives a living hell. He wants to isolate, to separate. He wants you to experience despair. He wants you to experience hopelessness. So the challenge is, what do we do about it? And when I say we, I'm not talking about church in America. I'm not talking about uh, the, the Christians around the globe. I'm talking about we, like me and you. What do we do about this? How do we be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem? How do we overcome all this division and I can tell you one thing, we've got to get united and we've got to get united around something that's bigger than politics. We've got to get united around something that's bigger than a virus. We've got to get united around something that is bigger than vaccines or even race. We've got to get united. Paul talked to the church in Philippians and at one point he had these words to say to him. It gives us this imagery in Philippians 2.2. 2. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. And we start to get this picture that you know what would make Paul really happy? Paul, he, he's saying to these Christians, you know what would make me really happy? Is if I looked out and, and all I could see is that you guys were working so closely together, so well together, loving each other together, getting along so well together that, that it would just make me so happy. If you're a parent and you've ever walked in on your kids loving each other, you know what Paul's talking about. If you've ever caught your kids getting along, and they didn't know that you knew, you're like, you kind of just like quietly step back out of the room, like praising Jesus. Like that is so cool. And, and I'm joking about it, but it's true. It, like it, as a parent, it just warms your heart. You're just like, man, that's it right there. They're getting it. 
right? Like it doesn't matter. I don't care what their math homework looks like. Do you see the way he just talked to her and the way she just talked to him? Like that, that's what Paul's talking about. The thing is, when it comes to unity, this isn't just some good idea that Paul had. This isn't just something that I'm like, oh, hey, we should really preach on this because it's important and the world's divided. And yeah, that's all true. But it's way more than that. It's not just some good leadership principle. This is straight from Jesus. If you go to John 17.10, we are seventeen twenty at the end there of Jesus's prayer. In John seventeen, we have Jesus's prayer at the end of his life before he goes to the cross. He's he's being super vulnerable. He's laying everything out. This is maybe one of the most vulnerable times we ever see Jesus talking very raw and real to God the Father. He's laying everything out, and at the end of his prayer, this is what he has to say in verse twenty. He says, "I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message." I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Listen. Let that marinate for a second and soak in. Jesus is praying for us to get along. His heart's desire is that like a parent, he will look in on us and catch us loving each other. And and not just because it's nice and not just because it's like, oh, that's sweet. There's something really big at stake. He says that may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Like there's something supernatural about our unity. When we get along and when we love each other well, there is something, there is supernatural power. When we're loving each other, it tells the world around us that Jesus is real. Secondly, it tells the world around us that God loves them the way that he loved Jesus. Like there's somehow, when we love each other, it has the power to testify to people around us that Jesus is real and that God loves them. sharing with you all that the world is divided and there's all this garbage going on and there's all this division over different opinions and politics and things. That's nothing new to anybody in this room. Maybe some of those statistics caught you a little off guard, like you didn't realize some of those areas were as bad as they were. But it's no secret. There's a lot of division going on and and it's sort of been the perfect storm this last year to just keep cultivating division. But the other thing it's also done is it's created the perfect environment for us as Christians in our community to be unified and stick out like a sore thumb. Like there are hundreds of people that come to our church in person and online and if we start to love each other really, really well, 
and it's obvious that we're loving each other well in our in-person communications, in our online communications, the stuff that who knows who reads from wherever, right? When the thing that sticks out like uh, about us is that we are kind and gracious and, and patient with one another and loving each other and, and that we are, are, are uniting around Jesus, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb in all of the right ways. And remember, I told you I wanted this to kind of get into some real practical stuff in this series for us. And, and this is kind of rubber meets the road turf when it comes to our part in unity, our part in pushing back against all this division. Like, what do we do about it? How do we actually go about it? Like, like saying, oh, let's love each other. That sounds nice, right? And it sounds like a great churchy thing to say that the pastor has to say because he's the pastor. But like, how do you actually do it? What does it actually look like in your everyday life? Thankfully, I'm not the first church leader that is trying to figure out how to accomplish this in a church. I'm not the first church leader who is trying to take a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places with a bunch of different backgrounds, a bunch of different political beliefs, uh, social beliefs, a bunch of different religious backgrounds and say, hey, let's all really love each other really well and stay unified. Like that's been done before. And we get the opportunity to learn from one of the best in the world, uh, uh, a church leader, a church planner who committed his life to not only starting churches, but helping teach them how to major on the majors. Stay unified on the things that matter. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and most of the letters have to do with getting churches lined up and agreeing with stuff. Putting the wrong things down and staying, holding firm to the right things. His name's Paul, which is why I want to take a look at Romans 14 this morning. And I want to give you a quick little background. Romans 14, uh, Paul is writing to a real modern church in Rome, if you will, of the day. This was more uh, in the kind of si uh, center of social, economical, political hub of the world. Uh, they were the trendsetters of the, of the times. And they're right in the midst of all this stuff. And there's all sorts of differences, a big melting pot. And in this letter, and particularly in, in Romans chapter 14, Paul's addressing some areas where the believers in this church are having a hard time getting along. They can't seem to agree on certain things. And in the letter that we're going to look at, we're going to look at this particular part, they're talking about what to eat and which days to celebrate and which days not to celebrate. And there's a lot that is going in behind why they have different opinions about those things that we're not going to get into this morning. That's some fun for you to go dig into on your own. But what I want us to focus on this morning is the heart of a pastor who's writing to Christians that he loves and cares about in a church and the, his heart to draw people together away from division and to unify people. And so I purposely put this in your notes and uh, the message translation, okay? For a couple of reasons. Probably a lot of you forgot your message Bible today. Nobody thought that was funny all three times but I stuck with it, right? Um, but I put it in there because I, I want you to hear it in real modern terms. I, I just want you to hear it in plain English. And so I want you to get your notes out. It's got, I've got it in there. I want you to grab a pen, and, and I'm serious. I want you to have a pen ready 
Because as I'm reading this, I want you to be listening through the lens of what is God maybe showing you as we read this? Be ready to underline something. You may be like, oh, yep, like for some reason that just caught my attention. Don't just go, oh, that caught my attention. Underline it. Don't lose it, right? And you may be like, as we're going along in here, there may be something where you're like, that sets off a three alarm fire in your head and your heart. And you're like, oh, I needed to not miss that. Like that was super convicting. That is your notice to circle, highlight, scribble around it. Come back to that. God's trying to show you something right? So have your pens ready as we read through this. I want to read it to you. It goes like this. Romans 14. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who do not see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, A person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume that he uh, should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. That's the part where you guys underline. If you're wondering, if you're questioning, I'll go ahead and underline. First five. Or say... One person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it for the glory of God and thank God for the prime rib. Mm -hmm. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli if it's covered in cheese. (laughs) None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's a God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Paul says, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confess 
or, or sorry, if you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, then you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them all to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion for soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly. If you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and be and courteous to the others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you're acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, for example, some days you're trying to impose your opinions on others, and then other days you're just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If uh, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. I know that's kind of long but it's got so much wisdom in there for the times that we're in and for the journey ahead. And so I want you to hang on to that and keep going back to it because the the question that we're trying to dig into here, the thing that we're trying to address as a church now and will continue to address always and forever as we continue to bring different people in from different backgrounds, from different states, different cultures, different religious backgrounds, different countries, from not knowing the Lord at all. Like we're, we're always going to be working through this issue of how do we get so many different people from so many different backgrounds with so many different stuff to be united and to hold firm and to hold the church together. Like how do we actually do that? And I can tell you one thing that the Bible is not saying. The, the Bible is, is not saying that the answer is that we get everybody in different churches. The Bible is not saying that, that we need to have a church for the carnivores over here and a church for the vegetarians over here, right? The Bible doesn't teach that there's supposed to be a church for the Jews and a church for the Gentiles. And, and as much as it seems like it would make sense some days and we think, oh, wouldn't this be nice? What if all the Democrats went to that church and all the Republicans went to that church? That is not what the Bible prescribes. So what is the answer? The answer is that when, when members of the church are really different from each other, we build unity around Jesus. We build unity around Jesus. 
Paul starts off Romans 14.1, he says, welcome one another. He goes on later in chapter 15, he says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement uh, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like uh, our ability to praise God our ability to come together is the prerequisite is that we are welcoming one another, that we're loving one another, that we're unified around Christ. The fact is that at the, the church in Rome, if it just kept dividing over whether they could eat this or not eat this, or whether they could celebrate on this day or celebrate on that day, that they would not be focused on Jesus. Newsflash. Anytime we lose our focus on Jesus, there's going to be damage in the church. Anytime we lose our focus on Jesus, the church gets off track. That's always been the case. So, let's get practical. How do we actually do it? How do we, that sounds like a really awesome churchy thing to say. Build unity around Jesus. That's like the classic Sunday school answer where it's like somebody asks you some hard church question or a Bible question and you're like, Jesus, right? The answer is always Jesus, right? Sounds nice, sounds cliche. How do you actually do it? What does it actually look like? Well, let's, let's talk about it. I think it's actually a lot easier than we think. I want to share with you three keys. Three keys to building unity around Jesus. Number one is when God's word speaks clearly and essentially about an issue, obey the word. I'm using some specific words in there for a reason. So when God's word speaks clearly, in other words, when God's word, the Bible, clearly says do this or don't do that, we just obey it. Like we just follow the Bible. That's the easy one. The other word in there to take note of is essentially. And so like that's the stuff Paul's trying to address to the church in Rome in, in Romans 14 is he's trying to say like you're getting off track. You're, you're like you're arguing about things that are not essential. It doesn't matter if you eat meat or don't eat meat. It doesn't matter if you celebrate on this day or celebrate on that day. For us today, it doesn't matter if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask or get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine or vote Republican or vote Democrat or lean this way or care about this thing. Like none of that matters. It's not essential for you to be a follower of Christ. It's not essential for us to hold our church together. So when God's word uh, speaks clearly and essentially about something, then we obey the word. That's the first key. And it sounds kind of simple and obvious, but like we do what the Bible teaches when the Bible teaches on something. Got it? Second key is this, kind of similar but, but different, is when God's word does not speak clearly and essentially about an issue, uh, about an issue we do what we believe best honors Jesus. Paul gives us this picture in there of the, in Romans 14 about, it says that, that when people uh, eat meat, they do it because they're honoring God. They feel like it's the best thing for them to honor God. When they celebrate on this day, it's because they're honoring God. When they abstain or don't eat meat, it's because they're honoring God. Like the, the, 
The point is when the Bible does not clearly speak about something, does not clearly teach on an issue, then our next uh, filter we run through is like, first of all, it's like, does God's word teach on this? If it doesn't, then the next filter we run it through is, for me personally, is where I'm at on it, is this, is this about me honoring Jesus? Is this the way I think I'm going to best honor Jesus? Not what does my political party, what's the political stance on it? What do the conservatives think or what do the liberals think? Or it's not what does my financial advisor suggest or what does my family history, like my family and my grandma and grandpa and, and my mom, and like everybody always believed this. So I've sort of landed in that camp because it's what my family's always believed. No, 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 that's not it. It's first is what does the Bible teach on it? If the Bible's not clear and you're not, it, there's nothing in there that it teaches on it, which I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a lot the Bible doesn't teach on. You're familiar with that, right? Those of you in the room that are parents, I think we all know. Um, those of you in the room that are parents or those of you that have a parent, catch up. Come on. Bump the guy next to you if they didn't giggle yet. That's you. We didn't get an instruction book, right? Us kid things. We don't come with instructions. And, and, and as your parents try to teach you, like even the best parents, they don't give you instructions for every little detail, right? The most loving, awesome, equipped, all-in parents are not able to map out every possible scenario in life that you're going to run through. And God is the same way with us in his word. He doesn't give us the, here's everything that'll ever happen, and here's what you need to think and do about it. He gives us freedom in Christ. He maps out the the essential things. And then there's a lot of freedom. And so where, where God's word doesn't speak about it, our next thing is like, what are we doing? Like the position we're taking, the, the way that we're thinking about it, we need to spend time chewing and thinking and praying and going, does this honor Jesus? Does this honor Jesus? Now for masks example, I'll just keep throwing that one out there as an example because we all love talking about masks not. So, you, so somebody, uh, lots of people are in this camp that for, for a variety of different reasons, they feel like uh, wearing a mask is a very loving thing to do. They feel like wearing a mask is something that honors Jesus and, and they're choosing to do it because they, they feel convicted that it's the right thing to do in their heart. And for other people, they're like, I, I have freedom and, and I feel like I am living my life as an example of Christ and I don't feel like I need to, honor, I don't need to wear a mask and I don't feel like I'm being unloving. And, and so they're like in two different camps, but they both feel like they're in the right, not right, Science, not right statistics, not arguing over that, but just that they're square with God, personally. And then those two people run into each other. It's like, well, what do you do now? Well, Paul says that when you love prime rib, his one of your favorites, but one of your brothers from church loves the broccoli. He's not a prime rib guy because he feels really convicted that he needs to eat vegetables because for him, that's honoring God. And you love prime rib and you know you go over to your brother's house and he doesn't love the prime rib. You don't make him a hamburger, all right? Why? Because it's loving. When you talk to somebody about mask stuff and one person's like, man, I just feel like this is really the right thing to do. And for me personally, 
This is, this is where I'm at. It, don't spend a bunch of time trying to talk about science. Don't spend a ton of time trying to figure out what thing says what about what. None of us are experts in any of this stuff. There might be one expert somewhere among us, but they're not common. Because we just, we just end up going in the same old circle where we keep talking about the wrong things. We keep talking about masks and science and effectiveness and politics and presidents and and on and on and on and on and on. And none of that stuff, none of that stuff has the power to testify to the people around us that God is real. It doesn't matter if people know who you, what you voted for president. It doesn't matter what people know about what you believe about masks or COVID or guidelines or policies or, or what business should be open. Like none of that stuff. It, we could all be lined up on that and be the most unified group of people on a whole bunch of stuff. And it does not have the power to impact people around us the way that our unity around Jesus does. And when I know that we live in a community where there are anywhere from 10, 12, 15,000 young adults right now that are wrestling with whether or not they want to end their life, over half of them are struggling with mental health and uh, it's stuff, major depression, major anxiety. They're struggling with issues that have got them thinking about suicide. And that is the biggest percentage of our population in the town that we live in. I don't care if anybody knows who I like politically. What I do care about is if, if us getting lined up and loving each other well can tell a different story to those people around us and it brings them hope that they haven't heard anywhere else and somehow, unexplainable to me or by you, God uses our unity and our love for one another to testify to them and fight for their heart and fight for their life. Unity matters. And that really kind of just sums up the third key, the third one. It's not in your notes, but like just the, the final thing is that, is that when God's word doesn't speak clearly about something, doesn't speak essentially about it, the key to us being unified is that we just love each other. We listen, we respect each other. We're okay to disagree on stuff that isn't about Jesus. In our church, when we do a membership class, we, we talk about things that are negotiable and non-negotiable. And there are very few non-negotiables. There are a lot of negotiables. And we can be all over the map on the negotiables, just like we can in life. And just love each other. And if we can do that, then we can start to tell a different story to the people in our community. We can start to map out a different way and show them that there is a way other than what is the normal way right now. Because right now, everywhere you look and every conversation you have, every water cooler, every Facebook conversation, every public post on any social media, every news channel you watch, Every single conversation you have, you go to any restaurant in our town. Well, you can't go to any restaurant in our town. You go to any other public place in our town, stand in Walmart and just go walk around like a fly on the wall and overhear people's conversations. Like people are talking about nonstop all the reasons, all the things people are divided about. That's the conversation. Our part, 
What we can do is we can just love each other like crazy. We can bend over backwards to love each other well, to to overlook the things that we're not on the same page about because they're not essential. When you start to find yourself disagreeing with somebody and it's getting under your skin a little bit, you come back and you go, is it essential to me following Jesus? Is it essential to our church holding together? Like, is, is this non-negotiable? Or could they be all over the map on that idea? It helps you let go of those things you don't need to hang on to. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.